All right, now, this morning, we are starting a brand new series called At the Crossroads with God. At the Crossroads with God. You know, every day we make decisions, we make choices, right? And, you know, some of those choices are inconsequential, right? It makes no difference to your life at all what you choose. Like, if I go to the ice cream store, it doesn't make a difference, really, if I get lemon crunch or chocolate peanut butter fudge. Maybe it makes a difference to some of you, right? But it doesn't really make a difference for my life, right? And then there are some decisions that can have an impact on your life, right? Either in the short term or in the long term. Like, I remember one time, a bunch of years ago, we went out to dinner and a movie. And at, before, at this dinner, we, I got this, this appetizer that was a really good dip. I mean, it was so good. There must have been, like, a lot of butter or something in it. It was so good. And then at the movie, I ordered a large popcorn... And I think I got extra butter. That was a bad decision. Because that night, it, you know, it didn't uh, sit well with me. And I was up all night long. And worse yet, it was a Saturday night. So I had to drag myself into church after a night, a miserable night, right? And that that was a bad decision. And it, it affected my life in the short term, right? Now, some decisions impact your life in a longer term, right? Like, where am I going to go to college? What am I going to do for a job? What am I going to do for a career? Who am I going to marry, right? We have these decisions that impact our lives for the long term. And then there's times when you're confronted with a decision that can affect your eternity. A decision that has eternal consequences. You know, sometimes God sets up a time, a divine appointment with you, if you will, When he confronts us with a decision, a choice to follow him, to follow his plan and his purposes, or to turn from that to something else. And I'm not going to lie to you, right? The choice is not always easy. Sometimes it's difficult. Now, his plans, right, and purposes, they always ultimately lead to eternal blessings and eternal rewards. And often, at least, the blessings in this life as well. But always, his plans always include a dying to self. A dying to your own ideas and plans, and sometimes your own desires as well. Jesus said, whoever saves their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. So his plans often include suffering for Jesus or persecution or giving up something that this world has to offer in order to follow him. And so in this series, we're going to look at several people or groups of people who came to such a decision, came to this crossroads in which they were forced to choose between following God or following their own plan. And it made a difference for eternity, all right? So today, I want to talk to you a little bit about the idea of following Jesus. And the story we're looking at today is found in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, if you want to turn there. And we're going to look at four men. Four guys who came in contact with Jesus one day. And these were ordinary men. They, they were workaday kinds of people, just like many of you are. They went to their jobs. They put a hard day's work in to put food on their tables. They were just trying to get through the challenges and the stresses of life. And the day started out like any ordinary day. They got themselves up before dawn. They went to work. And they were just going through life when Jesus showed up. How many of you know that when Jesus shows up, nothing stays the same? I mean, look all through the Gospels. Jesus shows up and everything is different, right? So let's look at the story. We read the passage. We'll read it together to get a sense of the whole story. And then we'll come back and un- unpack it together. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. And it says, Jesus was standing on the shore of the lake of Gennesaret. That's, that's the Sea of Galilee. 
teaching the people as they crowded around him to hear God's message. Near shore, he saw two boats left there by some fishermen who had gone to wash their nets. Jesus got into the boat that belonged to Simon and asked him to row it out a little way from the shore. Then Jesus sat down in the boat to teach the crowd. When Jesus had finished speaking, he told Simon, Row the boat out into deep water and let your nets down to catch some fish. Master, Simon answered, We worked hard all night long and have not caught a thing. But I tell, but if you tell me to, I will let down the nets. They did it and caught so many fish that their nets began ripping apart. Then they signaled for their partners in the other boat to come and help them. The men came and together they filled the two boats so full that both began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this happening, he kneeled down in front of Jesus and said, Lord, don't come near me. I am a sinful man. Peter and everyone with him were completely surprised at all the fish they had caught. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were surprised too. Jesus told Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. So they pulled their boats up to the shore, and they left everything, and they went with Jesus. Would you bow and pray with me over the word of God this morning? Oh, our Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. God, we pray that you would please give us ears to hear what you're saying to us. Give us eyes to see, God, what you're doing in our life and in our days. And God, give us a heart to understand and respond. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Now, this is a beautiful story of our Lord coming into the lives of these men and changing their lives. You know, and I chose this account in Luke because it was, has the most details of what happened. You know, some of the other Gospels don't share all the details. And you can kind of get the impression that, that Jesus walks along and um, says to these fishermen, Hey, come follow me. And they dropped everything and followed a guy that they'd never met or seen or heard before, right? Well, that's not really exactly what happened. And Luke shares all of these details so that we can kind of see what happened, understand the process that they went through when they were confronted with the uh, eternal kinds of decisions that they made that day, right? So this morning, I want to talk to you a little bit here about following Jesus as we unpack this story. I'm going to share with you six observations from this story that I think will help us when we're faced with that kind of decision, where God puts us in a place where we have this choice to follow him, follow his plan and his ideas, or follow our own plan and our own ideas. All right, so the first idea is this. Jesus sometimes asks us to follow him in ways that don't make sense to the natural mind. Jesus sometimes asks us to follow him in ways that don't make sense to the natural mind. How many of you have ever had this in your life? All right. Look at the story again. After fishing all night and catching nothing, Jesus says, go back out and try again. Row back out into deep water and let your nets down to catch some fish. Now, that didn't make any sense at all. The fish weren't around. They knew the fish weren't around. It was past time for the fish to be around. It was time for them to take whatever they'd caught and go to market and sell their fish. But they hadn't caught anything. So Jesus' instructions didn't make any sense. Sometimes Jesus asks, him, us, asks us to follow him in ways that don't make sense to the natural mind. Now, I'm not talking about crazy things or things that would hurt yourself or hurt anyone else. You know, I've seen enough times, I think, in my life and in my ministry where people have done some crazy things in the name of God, right? And God just ends up looking bad, right? I'm not talking about crazy stuff, but there are times and there are things that God asks us to do by his word and by his spirit 
that don't always make sense in the natural. For example, how about this one? How about dying to self? Well, that doesn't make sense in the natural, does it? Jesus said, you know, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Now, that's a little bit counterintuitive, isn't it? Because in the natural, if I die, then I'm dead. But if I live, then I'm alive. But in the kingdom, if you die to yourself, to your own desires, to your own uh, interests, and your own agenda, to your own life, and then you live for Jesus and live for his agenda, then you find your life, your true life, the, God, the life that God intended for you. How about this one? How about putting others first? How many of you like that one? Not a hand go, a few of you, right? Like that, putting others first, right? Um, in the natural, I mean, Jesus said the first shall be last and the last shall be first. But in the natural, if I'm first, then I'm first. And if I'm last, then I'm last. I mean, if I'm first in line, and then someone makes me get out of line and go to the end, in the natural, then I'm last, right? Like when I was in grade school, and the teacher caught me goofing off in line or talking or doing something else I wasn't supposed to do in line, and then sent me to the end. Well, I didn't feel like I was first anymore. You know, I felt like I was last, and I felt very sorry for myself. Oh, y'all are so holy, aren't you? That never happened to you, did it? Come on. You all know what I'm talking about, right? If you're last in the natural, if you're last, you're last. But in the kingdom, when you put others ahead of yourself and Jesus' interest ahead of yourself, Jesus sees you as first. So if you spend your life trying to be first, trying to be ahead of everyone else, trying to push everyone else out of your way so you can be first, then Jesus says, as far as eternity is concerned, he sees you as last. But if you live for him, put others ahead of you and put Jesus ahead of you, then Jesus sees you as first in the kingdom and in eternity. Sometimes Jesus asks us to follow him in ways that don't make sense to the natural mind. What about this one? The greatest among you will be the servant of all. Well, that doesn't make any sense in the natural. I mean, in the natural, it's the greatest who have the most servants, right? The richer you are, the more powerful and important you are, the more servants you have to wait on you and take care of you. But if, but if you're a servant, then in the natural, I mean, you're not great. But in Jesus' kingdom... The greatest is the one who is the servant of all. You know, Jesus is the most important person who ever lived. But it says that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. He served us at the point of our greatest need, our spiritual need. He didn't come uh, seeking his own, but he came, laid all of that stuff aside because he loved us so much, came to serve our spiritual needs. Sometimes Jesus asks us to follow him in ways that don't make sense to the natural mind. Then next, here's your next observation. Sometimes, Jesus asks us to follow him through successive steps of trust. To follow him through successive steps of trust. Look at this story again. I mean, Jesus didn't simply just show up and then look them in the eye and say, hey, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, right? No, instead he challenged them to gradual steps of faith, trust and obedience. He asked them to follow him one step at a time, right? First, he asked them if he could use their boat, if he could get into their boat. Then he let them get to know him a little bit. He let them hear him teaching so they could see who he was and get a chance to see who he is. And next, he asked them to take the boat out to the middle of the sea. Then he asked them to put their nets down for a catch of fish. And at each point, Jesus is stretching their faith a little bit in his words, stretching their faith in him. And finally, after the big catch of fish, Jesus makes his biggest ask. Follow me and I will make you fishers 
of men. I mean, this is a big ask. He's saying, leave your nets, leave your livelihood, leave what you know, take a risk, follow me, right? I mean, that's huge. You know, it's a lot safer just to stay where you are. It's a lot safer just to stay with what you know and not to be different than anybody else. It's a lot safer, right? Don't do anything different. And if he had asked at the beginning of the day, I don't think that they would have been ready to respond that way. However, after a series of steps in trust, they were able to take the big step. You know, God often works in similar ways with us. You know, on the day of salvation, he doesn't give us this big, huge, long list of everything that you need to change in your life, right? And he doesn't give you this big, long list of all of the faith challenges you're going to experience throughout the rest of your walk with him, right? How many of you had Jesus do that for you? I, uh, on, the, right, on the very first day, told you everything? I don't think so, right? Uh, so, uh, I mean, if he did, I think we'd all have a heart attack, right? And, and just, just fall down dead right there. No, he gives us one thing at a time. And each uh, successive uh, walk of faith gives us strength then for the next one. Until we have faith to face every challenge that comes into our lives, right? Following Jesus is more often than not about many daily small steps of faith. And it is about one giant leap. Now, maybe sometimes it's a giant leap, but often it's about daily making small choices to be faithful to God. And then next, Jesus challenges us to follow him in areas where we think that we're the experts. How many of you think that you're the experts at something? Maybe not everything, at something. Everybody's an expert at something, right? You know, when Jesus came into their lives, he began to talk to them about something that they already understood. Fishing. Then he began to make requests of them in this area. I mean, where they were the experts. I mean, think about it. They were already experts in that area. I mean, they grew up under the water. They understood fishing. They didn't need anybody to tell them how to fish. You know, have you ever had somebody who's less experienced than you at something come and tell you how to do it? Right? Maybe some of you who've been in businesses where you have interns every once in a while. Have you ever had that intern come in who's um, had one semester in college and they had one class in the thing that you've been doing for like 30 years? But they come in and they think that they have a better way to do it than you do and start instructing you, right? That type of thing. Well, in the natural, that looks like what's going on here. These disciples, or not disciples yet, these men are, are the experts, they're the ones who, who know what's going on, right? But Jesus shows up, and he doesn't look like an expert to them. And it says, he told them, roll your boat out into the deep water. Let the nets down to catch some fish. And Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and have not caught a thing. But if you tell me to, I will let down the nets. Now, I want you to think for a minute how this must have went down, right? When Jesus asked them to put out into this deep water, I don't think Peter's response was kind of like all happy, like, oh, master, we've worked hard all night long, but if you tell me to, we'll let down the nets. Just give the word. I'm so excited. I can't wait. He's going to give the word, right? I don't think that was Peter's tone when he said that, right? I think it was more like this. And I know this is conjecture now on my part, and, uh, uh, but I think it's based on what I know about human nature. And if you disagree with me about this, well, God bless you. Jesus can set us both straight when we get to heaven, all right? But I think it would probably went something like this. You know, Jesus asked them to put out into deep water to catch some fish. And everyone just kind of stops for a minute. Stops what they're doing. Begins to look at Jesus uh, kind of incredulously. And then uh, 
you know, because they've been fishing all night, they're tired, they haven't caught a thing, they know the fish aren't around, they know it's not time for the fish, and they know they need to just wait till the next morning, right? And finally, Peter, always the one to speak first, says, Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. And there's a pause, and Peter's looking at Jesus, and Jesus is looking at Peter. It's like Peter's trying to say gently to Jesus, you know, look, Jesus, I know you may be the expert in the spiritual things, but fishing is our area. You know, you're kind of getting out of your element here, Jesus, aren't you? It's kind of like they're expecting Jesus to say something like, oh, sorry, you know, I, I didn't realize that, my bad. Carry on and try again tomorrow. Can I tell you, if you're waiting for Jesus to look at you and say, oh, sorry, my bad, you're going to be waiting a long time for that. So instead, there's this awkward pause as Jesus just stares at them. And they're staring back. And James and John and Andrew, they're looking back between Peter and Jesus to see how this is going to go down. And finally, Peter's looking into Jesus' eyes and finally sighs and says, all right, because you say so, we'll let the nets down again. And James and John and Andrew just kind of groan as they roll their eyes and begin the process of getting the boats ready to go back out into the water. You know, some people do this with God, I think. I mean, they want to relegate God to just the areas that they perceive to be spiritual. God, you can be in these spiritual areas. God, you're good at church, God. God, you're good for maybe a prayer before a meal, maybe a quick prayer before bedtime uh, or something like that. God, that's where you belong. God's good for that, but, but not really good for, for, for business or for life or for family or anything else like that. We like to put God in our little box. Like, this is my God box. This is where God belongs in my life. The problem is God doesn't fit in boxes. God doesn't stay in your boxes. God just busts boxes open. He wants to be in every area of our life, right? And even in areas where we think that we are self-reliant and self-sufficient, and we're the experts, right? So here's the big question. Can you trust Jesus in areas of your life where you perceive yourself to be the expert, where you perceive yourself to know how it's done? Because, you know, it's not usually a question of can we trust God in areas where we don't know what we're doing. I mean, what's the first thing you do when you're thrust into some, uh, so, some brand new situation you have no idea what you're doing? I know my first thing is I throw up a flare prayer. Oh, God, please help me. Right? How many of you have done that before? A flare prayer. Right? God, help me. I have no idea what I'm doing. God, please show me the way. Please, please, God, please give me the answer. Right? Sometimes the more challenging thing is to trust God when you think you know how to do everything. And, you know, it can become easy to say, you know what? I, I've got this. I don't need to pray. I don't need to seek God. I, I, I know how this is done. And there are many examples of, in scriptures of people who did just that after trusting God had a similar situation afterwards where they didn't trust God and ended up failing. King Saul, when he was young and inexperienced, it says that he trusted God, he was humble, and he, and he relied on God. But when he got older and more experienced, he grew prideful and self-reliant and stopped seeking God. And eventually, God tragically said of him, you were once small in your own eyes. In other words, you were once humble, but now you've got so much pride, and he ended up failing. There was another young king of Israel, uh, inexperienced, and he faced a difficult situation when a foreign king invaded the land. And he took the opportunity to test this young king, and he, he didn't know what to do in the natural, but he did know what to do in the spiritual. He went into the temple, and he cried out to God, Oh God, help us, God. 
God, you see the situation. We don't know what to do, but God, help us. And God saw that humility and brought a great, amazing deliverance for them. But then a couple decades later, a similar situation arose, and another king invaded. However, this time, the king was much more experienced. He knew how war worked. He knew how international diplomacy worked. And so he went into the temple, and instead of praying, he took all the treasures out of the temple, sent them to another king, and said, come help me fight this king over here. And sure enough, that king came and defeated that king. But in the end, he was rebuked by a prophet, and his country was doomed then to become the slaves of that second king who had helped him. He robbed God and used the proceeds to purchase slavery for his people. You know, when you think you're an expert at something, that's when you need to take the most care to trust and follow Jesus. Jesus wants us to follow him when we think we're the experts. And next, here's your next idea. Sometimes Jesus asks us to follow him by doing the same thing in a different way. The same thing in a different way. Now, the disciples had had a way of fishing, right? They came out during the night. They fished through the early morning. Then they brought the catch to the market. That's the way it was done. It was the way they were used to. It's how they did it. And they don't seem to ever have deviated from it. But on this night, they had tried this and failed all night. But Jesus comes along and says, hey, trust me and do something that's a little bit different. If you'll trust me here, you'll be blessed. You know, once you feel like you know how to do something, it's easy to become self-reliant, easy to become blinded to the need to change. It's easy to take things that are traditions, things that aren't part and parcel of what the gospel is, and rape them up as though they were part of the gospel and take our traditions and say, okay, this must be the way always. This is the anointed way of doing things, right? And now traditions aren't bad. Traditions are good. But sometimes if a tradition, you know, begins to get in the way and becomes ineffective, you need to look at it and say, okay, that thing's not the word of God, right? And you can become blinded to the need to change and adapt and miss out on God's best. Sometimes the thing we're doing is good, but God has a better way to do it. Another idea that will produce more kingdom fruit. You know the last words of a dying church are? Pastor, we never did it that way before. I remember a bunch of years ago, in a, in a different city, not here, um, we got a, a new youth pastor, and the, the youth group was meeting in kind of a large room, and they shared the room with, with, with the um, senior Sunday school. And uh, the youth pastor, when he came in, uh, he just wanted to dress up the room in it a little bit. He got like eight small can lights that pointed to the stage to, to light it up a little bit. And he got a welcome sign um, hanging near the door that you could turn on. One of those welcome lights that you could just turn on, that type of thing. Now, most of the seniors were fine with that. Most of them, hey, that was fine. No, no big deal. I mean, it's just lights, right? But there was a, a very small group that got something about it. They didn't, they didn't like it all. And so they went to this youth pastor and said, you know what, in our day... We didn't need all these fancy lights and that type of thing to get the Holy Spirit to move, which shocked him because he wasn't thinking anything about the lights making the Holy Spirit move or anything like that. It just needed more light on the stage, right? And so um, he, you know, encouraged them and said, you know, if you, if, you, if you don't like the lights, you don't have to use them when, when you're there. Well, that wasn't good enough for them. They went to the pastor demanding that the lights be removed and pastor in our day and all of that. And, uh, of course, the lights ended up remaining because, after all, they were just lights, Right? And so, and they weren't looking at them to, to make the Holy Spirit move. Just, just do something a little bit different. And, you know, I, I enjoy, now this is going to tie together. I, I enjoy going to historical sites. 
presidents' homes, things like that, historic buildings, historic churches. You know, once I was in Alexandria, Virginia, and I was touring the home, or I'm sorry, the church of George Washington, where he went to church. And the, you know what the thing I noticed about it? Is it had no running water in there. It had no electricity. It had no air conditioning. And that's the thing you notice about when you go to these historic churches that have been preserved, like from the 1700s. No running water, no electricity, no climate control, no anything like that. And for goodness sakes, no padded pews or anything like that. If they had any heat at all, it was a pot belly stove uh, in, in the corner. And here's the big idea. Here's the big point, right? At some point in history, some church was the first church to put running water in the church. But some church was the first church to put electricity in the church. Some church was the first church to put climate control and air conditioning. Praise God for that, right? Aren't you glad there's not some pot belly stove here, right? And you, and you got to, uh, if you want it warm, you got to sit over here. And if you want it cool, you got to sit way back over there or something like that, right? Um, some church was the first church to put the padded pews in. Some church was the first church to have a sound system. And the first church to have a website. And the first church to have an overhead projector and then modern projector systems. And the first church to, to have Facebook. And some church was the first church to do live streaming of their services, right? And so, now, does God need any of these things at all to move? No. God doesn't need a thing to move. God has no needs, right? Whenever we do something a little different, it's not about getting God to move. Or if we do this thing, boy, then God's going to move. Or more people are going to get saved if we do this thing. What it's about. That's not the question we're asking. The question is, how do we take the greatest message in the world, the gospel, and communicate it in a way that makes sense to our culture? How do we most effectively do that? Are we going to insist that they hear the message in a way that made sense to us 10 or 20 or 30 years ago? Or we're going to say, this is an awesome message, and we're going to find every way that we possibly can, through word of mouth, through talking to people, through digital ways, through every way that we possibly can, to share the grace of the Lord Jesus with our community. Amen. Amen. You know, the day that we tell Jesus that, you know, we've got it all figured out. We have a system all figured out that never needs to change. That's the day that we begin to die as a church. We need to always be willing to have Jesus say to us, Hey, what you're doing is great. Here's a better way to do it. Following Jesus may lead us to do the same thing in a different way. Next, just two more quickly, then we'll be done. Jesus wants us to follow him because he wants us to produce much fruit for his kingdom. Look for a minute at the results of their trust in this passage in casting their nets. It says this, it says, they did it and caught so many fish that their nets began ripping apart. Then they signaled for their partners in the other boat to come and help them. The men came and together they filled the two boats so full that both began to sink. And the idea I get from this is that Jesus has more than enough provision to go around for those who follow him. All right, can I say that again? If you'll follow Jesus, there's more than enough provision for everyone Who's going to follow him? You know, so many go through their daily lives thinking, amen, so many go through their daily lives thinking and continually wondering, you know, at the end of the day, is there going to be enough fish? But Jesus said that the world worries and runs after all these things, all these earthly concerns. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added to you as well. It's as if Jesus is saying in this great catch of fish that for those who trust him, for those who honor him with their lives and hearts, those whose allegiance belongs to him, 
He's always got more than enough provision, always enough fish. But that's not even really the point. That's not even really the main point. There's something even more important that Jesus is driving towards here. Let's read on. He says, when Simon Peter saw this happening, he kneeled down in front of Jesus and said, Lord, don't come near me. I am a sinful man. Peter and everyone with him were completely surprised at all the fish they had caught. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were surprised too. Jesus told Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Jesus wants us to follow him and trust him so that we can be fruitful for his kingdom. So that we can be fruitful for him. That we can help other people come into the kingdom of God. Jesus came so that many could find new life, freedom, forgiveness, and live eternally with him. I mean, he has very big plans, eternal plans. Plans that make a difference for eternity. And it kind of makes the question of how many fish you caught last night seem a little bit insignificant, doesn't it? So here's the big point. Whatever we do, whether it's fishing or carpentry or office work or being a good father or mother or being a coach or a Sunday school teacher or whatever it is that we do, do it all with an eye towards being fruitful for God's kingdom, towards serving God's purposes in the world, towards being light of Jesus in our world. Jesus wants us to follow him so we can produce much fruit for his kingdom. And then lastly, we're ultimately called to follow Jesus in every area of our lives. Jesus told Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. So they pulled their boats up to the shore and they left everything and they went with Jesus. They left everything and went with Jesus. And I'll just say it straight to you. Jesus demands our allegiance. Our allegiance to him, our allegiance to his word, our allegiance to his purposes and his kingdom. I mean, he's demanding. Right? He, he demands our allegiance. Uh, um, that, and that, that allegiance be above every other allegiance. Our allegiance to personal interests, our allegiance to country, our allegiance to our family. He, he's, and he says this many times in the Gospels. To one he said, go and sell everything you have and follow me. To another, he said, let the dead bury their own dead. You come and follow me. And still to another, he said, anyone who loves their father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And if that sounds demanding, it is demanding. We come to a crossroads with Jesus and he demands our allegiance. It's demanding, but yet it is not in any way excessive. Because he gave everything for us. He vacated heaven's throne for us. He laid aside the privileges of deity for a while to become one of us, to walk the same dusty roads that we walk, to experience everything that we experience except for sin, all the trials of life that he experienced. He came here and he taught us. He loved us. He put up with us. And then he died for us at our hands. The just for the unjust. All it says to bring us to God so that we wouldn't have to spend eternity in hell with the devil, but instead we would be able to spend eternity with God in glory, in heaven, forever. And you know, just the natural, normal response to all that is to give our unswerving allegiance to him. Jesus, you gave all that for me. I give all I am to you. Amen. Jesus calls us to follow him in every area of our lives. 
know, sometimes it doesn't make sense in the natural. Sometimes we have to change how we're doing stuff. Sometimes it means admitting that we don't know how much we think we know, that Jesus knows more than us. Sometimes it means a series of small steps, one after the other, trusting God. But when we meet Jesus at the crossroads, if we follow him, we'll find that in the end, God has made us fruitful for his kingdom, that God has blessed us along with the way with everything that we need, and that God has an eternity of blessings stored up for us in glory. All right, will you all bow your heads with me as we're about to close in prayer? And I just want to talk to your hearts just a little bit this morning. First, really quickly, I want to talk to those that if you haven't yet taken the initial step to follow Jesus. Maybe you've been checking us out. Maybe you've been online a little bit or you've been coming a little bit just to check out what this Jesus thing is and, and what's going on with that. And, but you haven't really taken that first step to follow him. So I encourage you today, you will not regret following Jesus. And I invite you to do something small. Just take the first step. You may not know all the other steps that will come after that and whatever trials that you're going to go through or challenges you're going to face. Just take the first step because God will be with you in every step. Call on him today to be your Savior and your Lord and to follow him. Then also, I just want to talk to a few of you who may have, maybe you've been following Jesus, but it's been afar off. You've been on the fringes, you know, and you'd say, you know, Pastor Paul, I've been a professing Christian for some time, but if I'm honest, I haven't really been following Jesus very closely. And I, I encourage you today to make the commitment to get close to him. Do whatever the next step is towards the Lord Jesus. God says, if you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. So begin to draw near to Jesus. Lay down what you need to lay down before him and come close to Jesus. Make that next step. And then lastly, I just want to encourage a few of you. You may have been struggling to follow Jesus lately. Maybe you've been trying to follow him closely and you followed him for, for a number of years of your life. But did you say, you know what? I've been going through an awful lot, Pastor, and 2020 is really just banging me up an awful lot, and I can barely see the next step. Can I encourage you as well? Just take the next step. If you can't see 20 steps ahead, just take the next step with Jesus. Just take him for one more step, and God will be with you every step of the way. He will never leave you, he says, and he will never forsake you. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you. Thank you for your word today. God, thank you for challenging our hearts today. And God, I pray for those who are struggling to follow you right now, who are struggling with life situations right now, God. Help them just take the next step of faith. Give them courage and strength to follow you one step at a time. And God, I pray for those also who've been following the far off. God, God, they've been hanging around you a little bit, but, but on the fringes, not wanting to get too close. God, help them begin to step close to you, God. God, let, and let you in and, and to trust you, God. Help them take the next step of faith. And God, I pray for those who have not yet taken their initial step of faith. Give them the courage, God, to take that first step towards you. Maybe to get alone somewhere today and just spend a little time with you, God, giving their life to you. Give them courage to take that first step, God. And may today be a crossroads for them that will find their life set out on a path of faith, God, that leads towards an eternity with you. God, I pray all of these things 
in the name of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have an awesome, wonderful week with Jesus and be full of the grace and love and mercy of Jesus. Amen.